Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, October 12th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. On today's show, we talk subpoenas with Representative Benny Thompson. Then we continue our conversation with Department of Human Services Director Bob Anderson. Plus, Southern Nonprofits Reimagine Disaster Aid. And today is the first day of this year's Mississippi Book Festival. This is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. Mississippi Congressman Benny Thompson's January 6th Select Committee has met resistance in recent weeks, as former President Trump has reportedly instructed old aides and advisors not to cooperate with the panel's work. The committee has even struggled to physically locate former White House staffers so as to serve them with subpoenas. Thompson spoke with MPB's Desiree Frazier at a ribbon cutting in Jackson yesterday. You know, obviously the latitude is whether or not uh, we will pursue uh, criminal action uh, in terms of the subpoena. Uh, I can tell you uh, the committee is unanimous in pursuing whatever criminal uh, opportunities that avail us. Uh, none of the people will avoid, if we have anything to do with it, the execution of the subpoena and coming offering testimony uh, before the committee. Uh, the law prescribes a process and the committee is firmly committed to following that process. There's a concern about the length of time that it would take to get all this done, keeping it relevant, moving into uh, election time and campaigning. Is that a concern for you? Well, we're going to take as long as we need to get the job done. Uh, If you rush it, then you very well could miss something. Uh, We have a number of people who are contacting us, asking us, They have information to give us, so it takes time. Uh, It's a big country, and obviously we want to be thorough in the investigation. Do you anticipate calling the former president to testify? Well, if we get to that point, 
and and the direction is in that direction. I have no problem with it. It's an action for the committee to take. But at this point, there's not been any reluctance on the part of the committee to pursue any and all facts that lead us to a thorough investigation. Now talking about the uh, 15-week abortion ban that Mississippi has coming up before the Supreme Court, your thoughts on it and how do you see the court moving forward on that issue? Well, you know, it's unfortunate that the politics always come to bear uh, in the abortion debate. Uh, I'm a pro-choice person. I think it's a woman's right to choose. Uh, I ran on that in the beginning. I'm still there. Uh, it's just unfortunate that it's being politicized for the wrong reasons. Uh, I see that as a tough choice uh, for a woman to make. Uh, but if the woman decides in her best interest in consultation with family, with friends, with health professionals uh, to get an abortion, I respect that right. And so I hope the Supreme Court uh, will look at it in that manner rather than the politicalization of it as it's being done now. Benny Thompson represents Mississippi's 2nd District in the U.S. House. Coming up, we continue our conversation with Department of Human Services Director Bob Anderson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Today, we return to our conversation with Bob Anderson, who's the executive director of the Mississippi Department of Human Services. He took over the department in the wake of a man named John Davis, who allegedly misspent hundreds of thousands of agency dollars intended for impoverished families. MDHS has since undergone a forensic audit to take full stock of those inappropriate expenditures. Anderson tells Desiree Fraser he's implemented new safeguards to prevent future waste and fraud. Two types of oversight. One, we have a, a Department of Workforce Development and Partnership Management, and the partnership management part of that is uh, working with those subgrantees all during the period that their subgrant is active. And then we also have a monitoring unit that can do desk audits at any time during the time that a, a subgrant is active. They can also do, uh, and they, and they uh, are required to do a, a desk audit closeout when a subgrant terminates, and they review the general ledger, uh, all the claims that were submitted during the course of the subgrant and you know we essentially review everything that's been done with those TANF dollars which is again something that was not being done uh, routinely in the past the monitoring unit was in existence but a lot of times their findings were simply swept aside and nothing happened what happens now is if a subgrantee questions our findings again they have a right to a fair hearing and one of our hearing officers will hear them. If, if our hearing officer finds that their uh, objections are not well-founded, then they're going to be hold, uh, held accountable for that final finding amount of question costs that our, our monitoring unit assessed and that we asked to repay that money. And that is happening as we speak. We have cases that have gone to hearing. We have cases that have gone through the 
monitoring process and subgrantees have refunded money, and that's the way that it's supposed to work. Uh, and it's and it's working that way these days. The former executive John Davis didn't have a lot of oversight. Who's going to hold you accountable? Who's going to hold me accountable? Everybody in this agency holds me accountable, and, and the public holds me accountable. The governor holds me accountable. You know, everybody who depends on the TANF program is welcome to hold me accountable. I, I've told this agency we're going to be committed to integrity, compliance, and moving this agency toward excellence. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be living out that integrity each and every day. And I welcome being held accountable in that regard. Now that you have this forensic audit, will you be looking at other potential systems? Well, you know, we we brought on board uh, about nine months ago a an organizational ombudsman, and her task, her assignment, her daily, you know, effort is spent toward looking at processes and systems within this agency which need improvement, uh, which are not working. And, and you know, we ask her to be very direct with each one of the program areas in in assessing for them what she sees as weaknesses in our our workflow weaknesses in our processes. For example, our customer service function is in need of a lot of improvement, and we are in the process right now of you know developing an overall scheme to get our customer service in the place where it needs to be, so that people can have complete access to us, and they don't you know they don't call and get stuck on the phone, they don't get you know return calls. That, that those those are measures that we are working to correct each and every day and using the ombudsman kind of as a lens to or a spotlight to shine the light on the the gaps that we need to correct how's that going it's going pretty well it's going pretty well i mean you know turning a, a big ship like this agency around takes takes some time we have you know 1600 plus employees uh, half of those are field personnel out in our county offices, and we are getting the message uh, out to them regularly. I make regular visits out to those county offices myself, and we're making improvements each day. One of the biggest improvements we need to make is that we're working with old data systems that are you know 35 years old. Our, our employees, our eligibility staff, they work on a platform that's, you know, green screens and ancient to most of us because uh, they, the systems were written in COBOL, and we're asking employees who've never heard of COBOL to work in that environment. Planning any more investigations? We have a an active uh, fraud hotline as part of our Office of Inspector General, so every time we, uh, you know, we, we triage those those tips, and if we feel like the tip has been substantiated, we will open a full-blown investigation and move forward. You know, we've recouped about $3 million in the last year through that process from everywhere from SNAP recipients to child care providers to, you know, uh, sub-grantees who, who had overpayments. So we, we're continuing to uh, build our fraud, waste, and abuse uh, function within the agency. We covered a lot of territory. Anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share? Well, I think the main thing I want to share is that, you know, there's there, there's a lot in the past in this agency, but we are looking to the future. You know, we are committed to living up to our name, the Mississippi Department of 
human services. We're committed to providing service to Mississippians across the seven different uh, programmatic areas that we serve them. And uh, we invite people, we invite anyone who believes they're eligible for any of our programs to come and see us, to make application, and let us work with you. Let us help you uh, get, uh, get ready to move forward and get into the, the workplace. That's really what all of our programs are designed to do is take people from a, a, a sense of chaos to stability to sustainability. And that's, that's what we're committed to doing. Bob Anderson, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Human Services, thank you for your time and speaking with us. We appreciate thank you very much. It. My pleasure. Thank you. Coming up, the future of disaster assistance. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. After disasters like Hurricane Ida, the usual way aid groups help is through giving out supplies, things like bottled water and tarps for damaged roofs. But some charities say there's a simpler and faster way. Just give people cash. Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom has more. Like the Louisiana storm veteran she is, Gail Dardar already had a generator for her home on the bayou. But Hurricane Ida threw curveballs at even the most prepared. Pieces of wood just went straight through it. It was just like a bullet flashing into it. So Dardar dragged her other generator off the family shrimp boat to power the house. But she had another hiccup, how to pay for fuel. The storm knocked out the Internet along Louisiana's coast, making credit cards useless. You couldn't use your visa. You couldn't use any of the cards. Enter Helio Foundation with one of the world's oldest remedies, cold, hard cash. The small Louisiana charity asked for donations online to give money directly to people on the bayou, no strings attached. Dardar spent the 400 bucks they gave her on gas. This was a blessing. They have just made it so much better. This idea of giving people money is getting more popular in the South, and not just after natural disasters. Adelante, Alabama Worker Center says it gave away more than $250,000 to low-wage workers affected by the pandemic. One charity in Jackson, Mississippi, has been running a guaranteed income pilot for moms living in affordable housing. Reagan Duplantis-Cropel is the Helio Foundation's executive director. She says the reason she decided to give cash for Ida was pretty simple. We can't survive in this country without money. She spent years living on Louisiana's coast, so she knows that recovering after a storm isn't just about repairing damaged roofs. It's often figuring out how to get by when you can't work for weeks, sometimes longer. You always need cash. And if last week you spent all the money you made last week... And this week, you cannot go to your job? As a mother, mm -mm. no, it's too much. I needed to help those people, and right now. Since Ida, the Helio Foundation says it's given away more than $160,000. Gail Dardar says it's been a big help for her and her neighbors. That $400, they didn't have to spend it on something specific. It was theirs. It was a gift for them to use whatever it took to make their lives a little bit easier. That's one of the top selling points for giving cash. It lets people make their own decisions rather than letting someone else decide what they need. Communities know how to take care of themselves. Dominique Darbone is the co-founder of The Vessel Project, a mutual aid group that's given more than $30,000 to people affected by Ida. They just need the tools 
sometimes from the outside to help support that, like cash. Cash is also easy to get to people quickly without much overhead, especially compared to other forms of aid. It took more than a week for the Army Corps of Engineers to install its first roof after Ida because of red tape. The problem with getting money out there so quickly is that it can mean there's less vetting. There were moments where I wasn't sure if the person that was asking me for assistance legitimately needed it. But at the end of the day, our heart and our mission is to serve people. And if we send cash to somebody that didn't need it or that took advantage of us, that's not on us, that's on them. But the speed of money doesn't mean much when the store shelves aren't just empty, but carried away by wind and floodwaters. A gentleman asked me if, if he could send me a check to buy supplies. And I said, uh, it would be greatly appreciated, sir. But we routed the supplies. Money doesn't do you no good and you, you can't eat money. Matthew Schwess is a pastor with the First Baptist Church in Golden Meadow, a small bayou town still recovering from Ida. The first three weeks, you know, they, they didn't do you no good to have cash. You didn't have nowhere else to get it, anything with it. But that doesn't mean Golden Meadow won't eventually need financial help. Far from it. Rebuilding Louisiana's power grid alone will cost more than a billion dollars. We're definitely going to be able to need, we're going to, we're going to need some financial support big time in the future, no doubt. Now, the Helio Foundation and the Vessel Project have done more than just send money. They've delivered hot meals and small heaters for the coming cold. And experts say that's the future of disaster assistance. Send those traditional supplies for what money can't buy and cash for what it can. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between WBHM in Birmingham, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and WWNO in New Orleans. Coming up, the 2021 Mississippi Book Festival kicks off. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The 2021 Mississippi Book Festival begins today. Over the years, the event has established itself as the definitive annual celebration of the state's literary tradition. But like so much over the past 18 months, this year's book festival looks a little different than normal. Ellen Rogers Daniels is the festival's executive director. For the 2021 Mississippi Book Festival, which was planned to occur on August 21st here at our uh, state capitol complex in Jackson, Mississippi, we had 47 panels planned with about 170 authors and moderators, all coming into Jackson. We had to make the very sad and disappointing decision to switch to a virtual format due to the rising numbers in COVID cases here in our state. But luckily, um, we have been able to record 31 panels that were originally planned for the festival with 110 authors and moderators. So we've been very happy and very enthusiastic about that result. 31 panels with 110. I'm not doing my math very well, but how many in general is that per panel? So we have, you know, we have lots of panel discussions, um, which comprise, you know, around three to four authors with one moderator. And then we have several one-on-one conversations. How popular has this book festival become? If you had 170 authors lined up, how does that compare to other book festivals in the country? 
Uh, you know, Karen, we are uh, very much like other book festivals around the country, you know, like Nashville's book festival, or the Southern Festival of Books that takes place in Nashville, which has been around for 30 some odd years. You know, we are very comparable to them in the amount of authors that we invite. This was our seventh year. Uh, we started out in 2015 and the festival has grown every single year. You know, the first couple of years, only panels, panels only happened in the state capitol. And then we um, started hosting some in Galloway. So our festival crowd, um, our audience has grown every single year. And the festival has created a, a reputation that makes authors want to come and experience the magic of the Mississippi Book Festival for themselves. Tell us some of the other authors who are being featured. Are they mainly Mississippi writers? Of course, you know, we are the Mississippi Book Festival and we'd love to highlight our Mississippi authors, but um, authors come from all over the country. So starting out in Mississippi, we have Jackson's own uh, Angie Thomas, who is a wonderful friend to the festival. Kiese Lehman, who was born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, then, you know, spreading wider, we've got Robert Kyatt, who's the uh, former chancellor of Ole Miss University. He's talking in conversation with Wright Thompson, also an author from Oxford, about Mr. Kyatt's new book, 60. And then our entire mystery panel, which is called Mystery Revealed, is by authors who live and work in Oxford. And then our young adult panel, which Angie Thomas participates on, is also all young adult authors from Mississippi. So we all know that Mississippi has an incredibly rich literary history, but we have an incredibly rich literary present. So many authors, successful, wonderful authors are living and working here in Mississippi, and we want to honor that tradition in our history and, you know, amplify those Mississippi author uh, voices. The premiere is today. What time? So everything went live at 8 o'clock this morning on our website. There is a diverse assortment of panels for everyone to choose from. It should be able to touch on every single person's taste. So it's all rolled out at once. Everything is there. Everything is there. How can people pick and choose? <laughs> is there a schedule or it's not a schedule, but uh, is there a listing of how they can find ones they're interested in? Yes, yeah, so we have a 2021 Mississippi Book Festival page on our website, and that is what you will see when you visit our website, and we have all of the authors, moderators, and panels listed there. So you can really investigate what it is that you are interested in. Again, your website? www.msbookfestival.com. It's already launched, and I thank you so much for being with us, Ellen Rogers-Daniels, who's Executive Director of the Mississippi Book Festival. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.